0: Somebody got a sermon outline that needs one. Well, you notice our title there, Biblical Safeguards Against Backsliding. And so this, this is going to be some kind of a message. I know it's going to help you, but I want to show you some things out of the bookstore first. Uh, we got a book here in Spanish and in English called The New Birth. The New Birth, that's about being born again. Somebody said, well, this is the first time I've ever been to church. I don't know what born again is. Well, Jesus said you must be born again. And what that means is you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you ask Him to forgive your sins, come into your heart and be your Savior. That's that's Todd that is in a nutshell, but this book explains it's got scriptures in it from the Bible to tell you how to receive Jesus, why you need Jesus, and that heaven's real and that hell's real, and eternity's forever. And you go take your last breath someday. When you do you're gonna go either up or you're gonna go down. And when you receive Jesus, you get to go up to be with Him forever. So this is in Spanish and English, and we have a bookstore back there in the corner, so if you want to buy that, you can. And uh, Pastor Dave, that's the first day of spring, you said? Okay, well, here's spring devotions. We have a little devotional here for springtime. We got it for all the seasons back there, but it's a little little about five-minute devotion you can do every morning if you want to have these books here with the Word of God and lots of different areas of life for uh, faith, love, healing, uh prosperity, for how, to how God can meet your needs, for your marriage, all kinds of things in here, bite-sized nuggets to help you start your day off with faith every day. Amen. Somebody shout. I want to make sure you're awake. Okay. Is there a trade in here? <laughs> that was pretty. Was that you, Philip? Yeah, that was good, man. You sounded good. All right. Biblical safeguards. It gets backsliding. I want you to look at Psalms thirty-seven, verse twenty-five. <laughs> and we're we're, we're a uh, spirit-led church, We've got a spirit-led pastor. And when I when I was praying this week, praying, there's all kinds of things I wanted to teach, but the Lord kept giving me Psalms thirty-seven, twenty-five, and so then He really. Surprise me for the direction we're going today, but uh, anyway, I believe the right people's here at the right time to hear what God wants to say to you, so God's going to talk to you today. Look at your neighbor and say, God is going to talk to you, and he's going to talk to me, and I'm going to change. Say, neighbor, are you going to change? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Psalms 37, verse 25, and look at this. He said, I've been young, and now I'm old. And I thought, wow, that's talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed-begging bread. And so King David had lived a long time when he wrote this. And what he was saying was that God takes care of his people. He He takes care of the people who live for him. Takes care of their children. But anyway, when I was reading this, uh, here's what the Lord said to me. That I'm like King David. I've been young and thought I knew it all. Now, if you guys are still young, then you know you know it all. But some people are a little older now, you find out you don't know it all. And so, I've been young and knew everything. But now that I'm older, I realize how short life is and how fragile life is. That's what happens when you get older and you've, done, you've did a few funerals, you watch some people go before their time, and lots of things in life you experience, you start looking at life different. And you realize that life is unpredictable because people are unpredictable. Life's all about choices. Choices have consequences. And you know you, you see politicians get up and say wrong things, head up in the wrong direction all of a sudden. They say right things, they head in a good direction. That's the same thing about, you know, you think about sports figures. You get sports figures out there doing good. Then all of a sudden you find out they made wrong choices and took steroids or something. So everything they do gets blown away because of choices. And so in life, after being young and now being a little older, I realize how unpredictable people are and the things I've experienced in life. So anyway, when I was reading this, uh, here's what came out. I've never seen Jesus forsake his children but I've seen many of his children forsake him. Amen. As a pastor, you begin to realize that. You know, over the years of pastoring, I've been surprised about the people that walked away from God. And on the other side of the corner, I've been surprised about the ones that stuck with him I didn't think would. And so, I've never seen Jesus forsake his children, but I've seen many of his children forsake him. And so I just, uh, when I was sitting there putting this together, I I just punched the word "forsake" into my iPhone. I I, I don't have to get get dictionaries anymore, man. You got that thing. And so anyway, just this definition come up off of whatever dictionary they had on there. Forsake means to abandon someone or something. Means to renounce, to disclaim, to disown, to disavow, or discard. In Christianity, simple definition, forsake means to backslide. That means you walk away from Jesus and go back to a life of sin. And, you know, as as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking about Peter. How many know that Peter told Jesus, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you, Jesus. And then Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And I think about what that means in modern times. And here in the church right now, it's real easy to say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Jesus is good. But then you get out on your jobs, your family reunions, the people you hang out with that, that don't walk for God. Instead of saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, stuff like that. You talk like they talk and act like they act and do what they do. And every time you do that, you're forsaking Jesus. You're denouncing Jesus when the world uses the Lord's name in vain. And it doesn't bother you. There's something wrong. When you're out there around all the perversions of sexual sin of the world and you participate, you've renounced Jesus. You walked away from him. You've denied him. And, you know, so I look at this right here, and God wants to talk to you today. He wants to talk to all of us today. You know, as a pastor, my main number one go out of everything is not so I can drive a newer car or live in a bigger house. And you as Christians, that shouldn't be your goals either. My number one desire in life is to be when I get up to heaven because I'm going to stay living for Jesus. I'm not going to forsake Jesus. I'm going to stay with him. When I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, I want Jesus to look at me and say, "Look at all these people out here because you did what I told you to do. These people are in heaven." And I don't want to look through the crowd and see faces aren't there of people who used to go to my church. And not because they started going to another church, but because they walked away from Jesus. You know, as pastors, it really doesn't bother pastors a whole lot if a Christian decides that another church more meets their need than what our church does. We want them in church. Amen. We want people to come to church, but even if they don't come to our church, if they're going to another church, you got a pastor that's feeding them the Word of God and loving them. That's what we want. And so my number one harsh desire is that when people start living for Jesus, see that being an eternal commitment that they keep. And that's what we want to talk about today, about safeguards against backsliding. And so look at Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. And you know, as, I, as I'm talking, I'm thinking about the things that I'm saying today, I'm so grateful... I don't have to come up with my own ideas, but I can preach the Bible, what the Bible has to say. Did you know that the Bible, although it was written by men, was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's God? And so when we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading what people think, we're reading what God said. And for me, that's good enough. If God said it, then I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to live by it, amen? Amen. And do my, do my best to live by it and let everybody else know about it. And so I'm thinking about the difference. That, you know, This is something just a random thought to throw out here. I thought about this a few years ago. You know what the difference is between a politician and a preacher? A politician does a lot of talking, but he has no anointing. All he does is maybe stir a few people, make a few people mad while he's talking. But when a man of God or a woman of God gets at a holy pulpit and begins to speak, there's an anointing. That's the presence of Jesus through their words. And when the presence of Jesus comes out through words, then people's hearts are touched. People see things they didn't see before. They understand things they didn't understand before. So I praise God. I'm not just some unanointed man up here telling you something that I I think is going to make you feel good and support me. I'm going to tell you what Jesus says. And knowing that Jesus is going to back up his word He's going to speak to your hearts. It's not going to make you feel good. Matter of fact, we look at some things, we look at it, it may make you feel real bad. But then when you feel real bad, if you obey the Word of God, then you're going to feel glad. Amen. I want to take you from bad to glad. Amen. Amen. And so Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, says this. Remember, uh, well, if you're going to remember something, that means you knew it. You know. If you never knew it, you can't remember it. So maybe maybe some of you are hearing something for the first time. But for Christians that are Christians, it says this. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And so he's talking about spiritual leaders. And since he's talking about who teach you the word of God, then that would be talking about pastors mainly here. So you're supposed to remember them. says you follow their faith. And you look at the end of the conversation what that means real simply I don't like to say this but you can judge me you can judge my fruit because he says consider the conversation conversation there doesn't mean our talk that means our lifestyle that means our conduct and you know the best way I know to judge a preacher's fruit that has a family is to look at his wife look at his children Look at his grandchildren. Because to me, I found out over lots of years, I was young, but now I'm older. I found out over the years that what goes on behind closed doors will manifest in public through children. And so if if you've got children that absolutely are brats, and I don't know what else to say, cuss, carry on, want to fight everybody, mean, don't know how to respect people in public, et cetera, et cetera. that's something going on behind those doors there besides Bible study. There's something going on there. And so I'll, I'll say it again. He said that you are to take the faith of those who have that rule there. It says rule in King James. But what that means is lead. How many know that uh, rulers lead people? And so we don't rule like dictators. say, man, This is what you got to do. We say what he said there. Follow me. As I follow Christ. Amen. But it says, remember them who have that rule over you. So God raises up spiritual leaders to teach and be a role model of how to stay saved and live a life of faith. I'll tell you, if you're ever going to look for me down on who's on first, you're not going to find me there. I don't drink beer anymore. Amen. If they're having the Marijuana dispensary, you're not going to find me there. Jesus is my healer. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, you follow me as I follow Christ. That's place you're not going to find me. If you ever want to know where the pastor might be on Sunday night at 6 o'clock, you never have to ask anybody. I'm going to be right here. Amen. If you ever want to know where I am on Wednesday night, you might, might as well just write it down. I'm going to be right here. But you know what? Before I was a pastor, that's where I was too, In church. I was following after Jesus Christ. And, and the, be, the best thing about that is I've got children. We have eight children. Have lots of children that are married. Have lots of grandchildren. Got a grandson's an Army Ranger. We have, we have a lot of people, a lot, a, lot, a lot of kids. And the thing is, you look at my family to see how I've lived. And so that's what we call, look into my conversation, my lifestyle. That's what you get out of it. So it's been very wonderful. It's been very wonderful. Being consistently in church, consistently doing what's right, and uh, you mean you've never been around drinking or anything like that? Man, I, I come from a whole family of sinners. I was a big sinner at one time, and when I go back to Indiana for some of the family reunions, things to do out there, man, there's drinkers around. But did anybody hear the expression B.Y.O.B.? Well, I I'll call it bring your own Bible. So when I'm around, when I'm around, I got my Bible. It's in me, it's in my mouth, and that's how I live. My family found out a long time ago that I'm not one of them anymore. We're blood relatives, but I got a new father. And so I live how my new father tells me to live. Amen? And so, I want you to look at chapter 7, verse 17, verse 18. Verse 17, verse 18. says this, Obey them. That have the rule or the lead over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. And you know, if you're not a pastor, you don't know what this is. This is the scariest thing in the whole world to me about being a man of God. To know that God has entrusted me with responsibility. Leading his people how to live, and knowing that number one, the first one that gets judged for a church is the pastor. And so, I have got to live it to the best I can, and I am far from perfect. Man, I know how to repent. I know how to keep things right, to keep things going, because I want the Holy Spirit working in my life. And when I do wrong by word or any other thing in my life, that I oh boy, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, I did that, Lord. When I do wrong things, I immediately want to get right because pastors are judged by a higher standard. And, you know, the thing about it that uh, you may not understand, I'm not in a career. I'm in a calling. I didn't choose. I didn't choose to be a man of God, to stand up in front of people. I didn't choose to be a man of God to sit in an office with people having marriage problems or teenage problems and things come in and want help from God. I didn't choose that. God called me to do that. And then he tells me right here that I give an account for the souls of people. I give an account. But I want you to notice this next part, what he said. You submit to them that they may do it with joy and not with grief. With joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us. And you know, I don't know about you, but I receive all the prayer I can get. It never offends me for a Christian to come up and say, Pastor, I've been praying for you. I'm not too proud for that. I so, say, oh, thank you, Jesus. I really needed that prayer. Keep praying. Amen. Because the responsibility we have. It says, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly or to live honorably. And so, we as pastors, I think about the thing about glass houses. Pastors live in glass houses. We've got to be very cautious about what we do to avoid all appearance of evil. We watch how we live because people watch us, and they think we're God's junior. We're God's representative, and we're people. But the thing is, we have a gift from God To help people, we have a gift from God, and we'll give an account to God for the people He sent us. You know, I just I just want to just drive that point home that God Himself puts a special call on a man or woman's life to be one of His leaders in the body of Christ, and so then when God does that to us, then we have the responsibility to live right. Responsibility to seek him like we tell people to. Responsibility to teach the words he once taught. And so, I'll say it again. When I was preparing this message, I was praying about all kinds of good stuff I could preach and teach this morning. to Make people jump up and down and shout. And boy, they're going to like this one. This is going to be good. Boy, I want want everybody happy. But he told me, he said, over the years, how many people have you seen walk away from me? I want you to teach them how to stay saved. Teach them how to not walk away. Let them know that you can't just live how you want to because you said a prayer one time and think you're going to heaven. How many believe that when you get born again with Jesus as your Savior, he expects you to live different? Amen. He expects you to hang out with different people. He expects you to do put different things in your body than you used to put in your body. He expects your eyes to watch different things at the movie house and on TV. He expects your mouth to talk different. Amen, if you're born again. So a wise Christian stays connected, rooted and grounded in their church and submitted to godly leadership. A wise Christian. You know, I think about different counterfeits the devil has. Did you ever think about a tavern or a bar, a pub, whatever you want to call it? A lot of the windows, have you ever noticed that it says, we serve spirits? <laughs> I used to serve spirits, but I don't serve the devil anymore. I've submitted to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we have the presence of the spirit in this church. And before I was born again, years and years ago, I used to have a counterfeit pastor. He was called my bartender. I'd come into my bartender. I'd give him offerings. Sometimes I'd give him my whole paycheck it was over with. And then I'd get his ungodly counsel. I'd get his spirits. And then I'd get happy. And then if I didn't make it home, I wasn't happy anymore. Couple times I didn't make it home. And then the next day, when I woke up and I stood up, felt like the top of my head was going to blow off. I really wasn't happy. Amen. And so I'm telling you that when you stay rooted and grounded in church around other Christians, hear the Word of God being taught by your spiritual leader, your spiritual mom, spiritual dad being taught. It's going to help you not to walk back the other direction. When people tell you, hey, man, we're all going to be down such, such, like we're going to have, oh, man, we're going to have a good time. You're going to say, I used to have your kind of good time, but now I have a God time. Amen. Amen. I choose God time over good time any time because there's a way that seems right to a man in there over the ways of death. And so you realize that what I used to do, I don't do anymore. And you don't have the strength to say no unless you're hooked up with church. You're out other Christians, you come in, and at our church, we give testimonies every Sunday night. We have a 6 o'clock service, and we give the people chances to give personal testimonies. And I'll tell you what, it's so awesome to be sitting out here and hearing an everyday Christian come up here to the microphone and say, I just want to let you know this week that I passed a big test. I had the old, the old crowd invited me and put pressure on me. This is what we was going to go do as a big important thing they do every year. It's their big high, high day. But I knew I wasn't strong enough to go there if I'd fallen into it again. So I told them, no, I'm not going to go. I'm a new person, not who I used to be. As so you guys have fun. I'm not going to judge you. Go to to Do what you want to do. But I'm not going anymore because Jesus Christ lives in me. Amen. Amen. And you don't hear those testimonies at the tavern. Amen. You hear those testimonies at church. You get strengthened at church. And so, I want to say this about that verse. If pastors have to give an account for sheep, then the sheep have to do the part on the other side of that verse, have to submit to the pastors. And to submit, that's just real simple. That just means come to church with an open heart, an open mind, with the attitude that this man... He's going to teach me the words of God. And then of my own free will, I'm either going to reject it or I'm going to receive it. And so then I know that for me, I receive. I make that choice before I get to church or to me I'm going to receive what the Bible has to say. And when you receive what the Bible has to say, you're telling God, I choose you. You're saying, thank you, Jesus. You never forsook me. I'm not going to forsake you. Amen. Amen. Look at First Timothy chapter four. First two verses. And I've seen this so many times. I, I love the way the Bible exposes the strategies of Satan. Somebody said, I don't even believe in the devil. Well, we got people eating our country don't even believe in terrorists. But the terrorists don't go away. They just keep coming up in more ways to try to kill us. And so with our leaders might as well get it in their heads. We've got enemies out there. We better fight them. Okay? The devil, whether you can see him or not, he's real. The Bible says he's real. He's as real as Jesus is. He's real. The devil has a strategy like God has a strategy. God's strategy was John 3, 16. And then people come to church and hear the gospel. Satan's strategy is to take people out of church, take them back into sin, to deceive them, to have them in wrong directions. And so First Timothy chapter 4 says this, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly or specifically that in the latter times, this was written 2,000 years ago. And so the latter times is the times we live in now, 2016. Is part of the latter times. He's telling us something's going to happen in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith. Some shall depart from the faith. That's called forsaking Jesus. That's called backsliding. That's called walking away from your salvation. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. The seducing spirits. That means deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That means teachings inspired not by the Holy Spirit, by demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron. And that means having a hardened conscience, a hardened heart to where you're not convicted anymore about wrongdoing. And that what happens is that uh, sometimes Christians that used to not do certain things because they were born again, all of a sudden, little by little, let it back in to where they don't feel bad about it anymore. They go back to drinking, uh, sexual sin, whatever it is they used to do, they got freed from. They go back to doing it again. That's called having a hard conscience. And so what it says here, Satan is a deceiver. Satan is a deceiver. As a pastor, the things I've watched over the years... If Christians get a hold of what's in these two verses right here and see it for what it is, it'll change your life. Satan's a deceiver. When Christians listen to non-scriptural teaching, they will open the door for Satan to pull them away from Jesus and back to a life of sin. And, you know, I want want to tell a personal story that's really personal to me. I came from a family of seven children. I had uh, four brothers younger than me, well, the one that was right under me, he's in heaven today, and he shouldn't be. By that, I mean, he should be living a life for Jesus on earth. Back in 1982, the Lord gave Mrs. Pastor an assignment to go down and minister to him and his unsaved wife. They were unsaved. And so we went down to their house, and for like two or three Saturdays in a row, we, we played euchre as a time to witness. We went down, and we played cards, but during the card games, we just let our light shine and talked about Jesus. So I think about the third week we was playing Eucharist with them, we led them to a prayer of salvation in 1982. We led them to Jesus. And so uh, they, they'd been alcoholics. They'd been into dope, drugs, that kind of thing. What not living a very good life. That's where they were. We led them to Jesus and started getting them in church. Now we'll fast forward to 1992. 1992, we were pastoring a church. They started coming to our church. My brother has been an usher in my church. And all of a sudden, they missed a week. I thought, well, hallelujah. Then they missed another week. And so I talked to my brother. He's acting kind of weird. And so finally I said, what's going on? I said, how come you guys aren't coming to church now? He said... His wife said, Bernie's not feeding me anymore. I don't get fed there. I thought, wow, I'm a pretty good Bible teacher. I, you know, I feed everybody that wants to get fed. He said, she wants to go to this guy started a church at his house. I said, oh, and he was crying when he told me that he said, the guy smokes marijuana. My wife preaches said he, he smokes marijuana and she wants to go to that house where she can get fed. Doctrines of devils. I want to tell you, the Bible doesn't teach you to get high on alcohol and drugs and abuse yourself and abuse your life and be a saved Christian. And so the wages of sin is death. So now we fast forward from 1992. In 2000, I think it was 2008, I had the honor of preaching my brother's funeral. Praise God, he got right with Jesus again. But he died in his early 50s. He shouldn't have. But praise God, he got right with Jesus again before he died. And then two years later, they found his wife dead in her apartment from an alcoholic stupor. She fell over and bust her head on the coffee table. And she died in the middle. And her daughter found her. This is people we led to Jesus, living for Jesus. And they decided they'd rather hang around somebody that held a Bible in their hand. It said, You can live how you want to live. If you don't want to get married, just live together. And you know, I'm gonna give you a news flash. The Bible says adulterers and fornicators go to hell. And you know, you can do what you want to if that, that's the Bible. And so and so they wanted to hear some guy tell them, Smoke dope, get high, live how you want to, with who you want to, do what you want to. Jesus loves you. That's his grace. He gives you the grace to get saved, not the grace to live in sin. Amen. And so I just want to tell you, you know, I have a personal testimony. I hated like everything. See, my brother go down that road. But when you get a man or a woman preaching another gospel, telling you you don't have to live holy, you don't have to live right, there's gonna come a point of day you're gonna have a crash. Amen. Amen. Somebody said, Well, where do you get that at, Pastor? The Bible. The Spirit speaketh in latter days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, have their consciences seared with a hot iron. Satan's a deceiver, and so Holy Spirit-inspired teaching, now listen to this, Holy Spirit-inspired teaching by a God-gifted, called, and sent spiritual leader will always lead people to look to Jesus for eternal salvation. Holy Spirit inspired teaching will always lead people to deliver from sin and addictions through Jesus, healing for their physical bodies. Show people how to lead others to Christ and how to stay faithful to Jesus in the midst of temptations and trials. That's that's what that's what Holy Spirit inspired teaching does. It shows you how to be free. And let me tell you a difference. You know, I've said some pretty serious stuff today, but let me tell you the difference between condemnation, which religious people put on you, and conviction which the Holy Spirit does in your heart. Condemnation tells you how wrong it is what you're doing, how you'll never mount to anything. God's mad at you. God's going to judge you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what condemnation does. Conviction is when you hear the word of God and then you're told how to get free from what it is you're doing wrong. That's conviction. In your heart, you feel bad, and then the preacher tells you what you can do to turn around where you are. Amen? And so I believe that probably people today, under conviction, you feel really bad, but if we don't show you what you get out of it, then you just feel condemnation, which is not God. Amen? Conviction tells you that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, will help you get your life back on track. Jesus Christ will deliver you from deceiving demons. Jesus Christ will heal your mind. Jesus Christ will heal your body. The blood of Jesus will wash your sins. Jesus will set you free. That's what we're talking about, Holy Spirit inspired teaching. We're not going to say, we're not going to say, Oh, Jesus loves you just how you are. No, Jesus loves you too much. Let you stay how you are. Amen. He loves you where you are. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay where you are. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, Jesus will show you how to resist temptation. Now, I want you to look at James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. And, you know, we're looking at these verses, these next couple of verses, Just because of deceiving demons that deceive people and send them into hell. James 5, verse 19 to 20. Okay, the first word says, brethren, if any of you. So who's he talking to? Believers. Talking to Christians. Brothers or sisters, if any of you do err from the truth. You know what that means to err from the truth? That means to backslide. That means to walk away from Bible teaching. That means to go back to living how you used to live. If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, well, if you get, become converted, that means you got turned around. Got put, got put back on the right road again. You got your heart right with Jesus. And one convert him, let him know he which converteth the sinner. I want you to notice. He said, brethren, that err from the truth becomes a sinner again. Because you can't convert a Christian. You convert sinners. And so started off with, he said, Brethren, if you err from the truth, and somebody convert you, then they've converted a sinner. From error of his way, as shall save a soul from death. That means eternal damnation. From death, as shall hide or cover a multitude of sins. And so there's no Bible doctrine of once saved, always saved. You know, I want to get this into you. I want you to see this. And I want to say this for what we're talking about today. For those of you that work with people that still do all the things that ungodly people do, yet they want to talk to you about Sunday school they teach or something like that, you need to show them some of these verses and tell them, hey, I don't care how many Sunday school classes you teach. If you live for the devil all week long, you're not going to heaven. Amen. And they say, well, don't judge me. They say, okay, I won't judge you, but I'll let the Word of God judge you. The Word of God says right here that if you err from the truth, then you're a sinner. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. Yeah. Amen. Do better preaching than you are shouting. See, these verses right here are real Bible verses. And the Bible tells us that some are going to depart from the faith and get into error and doctors of demons. It's a doctors of demons that you could say a prayer. And this to live how you want to live. And do what you used to do and think you're going to heaven. The Bible says just the opposite of that. And so I want to say it again. This once saved, always saved, is a doctrine of demons. Amen. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. And if this don't light your fire, your wood's all wet. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 says this. He that overcometh, that means when you're being tempted, when the devil's trying to deceive you and pull you back to the world, to overcome it means you say, no, Satan, in Jesus' name, I'm not going back. I'm going to live right for God. I know what the Bible says to do, and that's how I'm going to live. Then you're overcoming. The same shall be clothed in white uh, raiment. And look at this now. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. He said, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. It says if you overcome, he doesn't blot your name out. If you give up and go back, he takes your name out. Will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's real simple. Receive Jesus and live for him and he will write your name in the Lamb's book of life on the other side of the coin, quit living for Jesus, he'll erase your name from the book of life. I don't want to say it again. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. I've read his words. Jesus said if you go back, he takes your name out of the book. He's the one that's authorized by God to put your name in the book when you get born again. He's authorized if you renounce him to take it out. So to me as a preacher, there's nothing any sadder than to see someone who used to live for Jesus post pictures on Facebook. Post pictures on Facebook of living in sexual sin and perversion and then pictures of their margaritas or their beers or what are they doing? You know, I just think about from pastor in Indiana and in California, I'm surprised and shocked at the Christians I see. Put pictures on there of mixed drinks and say it's happy time down here at the such and such a place. I thought, man, they used to be in my church. Our pictures of somebody they're living with are doing things they shouldn't all do that Christians ought to do. And to uh, say, boy, that's so sad. They used to teach Sunday school in my church. They used to be in my church and now they're out here. But what makes it sad to me is that they've been deceived by demons. And I know there comes a point in time that Jesus says, I've got to get the blotter out. What's the blotter? I know it's a thing he said he blots with to get the names out. And so that's what makes it sad for me when I see Christians no longer living for Jesus Christ. And I know what Jesus said he would do. Somebody said, well, Pastor, I like that one I heard a couple weeks ago a whole lot better, man. We want a chicken in every pot. Amen. Whew! That's pretty convicting, isn't it? But Jesus said it, and what kind of pastor would a pastor be if he didn't tell people the truth from the Bible, if we had to give an account? And so I know that for me, it'll be a clean conscience, I'm not going to stand in front of Jesus and Jesus say, all those people in your church that went out and lived like they lived, they didn't know any better because you didn't tell them. He's going to look at me and going to say, Pastor, you told him and they chose not to anyway. Amen. Awesome, isn't it? All right. And so I want to help you stay saved. As you know, you go to heaven you die. So this last little bit right here, we're looking at some biblical safeguards against backsliding. Are you ready for this? You got your pen and your paper out. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We showed you the dark side of it. Now we're going to show you the light the way out. Remember I told you I was going to show you the way out. Here's the way to get back right with God. Here's the way to stay right with God. Second Peter one four says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That's talking about scriptures. That's talking about the Holy Bible. That's exceeding great precious promises that by these, by these verses, you might be partakers of the divine nature. That's the nature of God. We can take portions of God's nature. The the more that we get these words into us, the more we take parts of his nature into us and become part of this. It says, and look at this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By these scriptures, these exceeding great and precious promises... We can escape that corruption that's all around us. And so we need to incorporate the following things into our daily life. And then you will be able to resist the pull of the sinful world around you. These verses, I'll say again, were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And with his help, you can put them to work in your daily life. With his help. You need God's help in everything. When God gives us Bible verses and instructions for living, he doesn't give us things we can't do. He gives us things we can do through Christ, which strengthens us if we seek His help. Amen? And so it says that by particular of these, these promises, we can live free. So notice verse 5. Some of these things he talked about. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue here means excellence. Excellence. Add to your faith, well, your faith, you get born again, then you got faith in you. And so you need to do something besides just having faith. It says you need to exercise virtue. That means excellence. Everything you do for God or man, give it your best. Everything you do for God or man, give it your best. You know, whether you're serving in God's church, give it your best. I think about Chuck. You know, chuck, Chuck's chuck got a machine shop, welding shop, muffler shop here in town. And during the course I've been here almost 11 years... I can't tell you how many people I've run across all across this whole area here. If Chuck's name comes up, they talk about he's the most excellent welder in this whole region. They, and sometimes they, sometimes they say, he charges it, he gets paid well, and I'm glad he does because he's a tither. But they say, you pay for what you get, but I guarantee you, if Chuck does it, it's not going to break. If Chuck does it, it's going to be fixed, it's going to be right. That's excellence, I think about Sydney Grow over at the church, or I mean the school, administrator over at the school. Works at the front office there at the desk. And anybody anywhere in this town pretty much that I've talked to knows who she is over there that runs that school there because she does it with excellence. The teachers love her. The parents love her. The children love her. That's not because she's a pushover. She's a very strong woman. But she operates in her vocation with excellence. And so he says... These are things to help us keep our salvation, have an excellent spirit. What you're going to do in life, you know, if you clock in, clock in early. And if you've wasted time during the day, clock out and finish it up on your time. Christians ought to set a different standard, amen? Amen. It says, so you add virtue to your faith and then to virtue, knowledge. And knowledge means always be willing to learn more about God and your vocation in life so you can give him glory. Always be willing to learn. Whether it's on your job, things about your church, things about life. And I want to say again what we're talking about right here. He said these are things that will help us become more like God but partaker of his nature if we'll do these things, he said. Exceeding great precious promises. It's talking about, you know, you know, as we look at these things, I was looking at this this morning again thinking about it, that everything that's in these verses we're looking at right here has to do with one of two things. Number one, of your life being lived in front of other people so they can see our light shine? Or our life influencing other people with how we treat people. That's what we're going to see in these verses right here. Jesus said in Matthew 5:16, let your light so shine before men that glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so I know that when I was a Christian truck driver, sometimes I really had to crucify my flesh when those guys overstayed the break room too long and I knew the bosses didn't like it and I would have to get up and walk away because I thought, man, I can't do this. I'm new on the inside. I can't sit here when I know I get a 10-minute break and sit here for a half hour I can't do it. So I would get up and walk out. I call that excellence. And so it's the things we have to do, but we're influencing people while we do them. And so uh, he says, add to that excellence, and then uh, knowledge, and then to to knowledge, temperance. And so what temperance means, is it's a fruit of the Spirit, means self-control. Temperance is self-control. Now, if you're Toes are sticking out too far. You might want to put them under your seats right now. Getting ready to do some toe stumping. If you can control your temper at church, you can control your temper at home. If you can control how you drive when the policeman's behind you, you can probably drive anytime. I will hide my toesies. Hey, man, that's called temperance. That's called self-control. If you can refrain from cussing at church in front of the preacher, you can your mouth at home. And on your job, that's called self-control. You know, some people, you know, they say they've got an anger problem. They don't have an anger problem. They've got a self-control problem. If you don't like something that happens in front of people that you don't want to blow it with, as you can control it then, you control it at home. You control it on the road. You control it on your job. You just choose you don't want to. But we're talking about how to not backslide but to stay saved. Start controlling your temper. Start controlling your mouth. It says add add, add to the virtue, add to the knowledge, temperance, self-control. And so self-control is in your nature. as a born-again child of God, but exercising it is your choice. Exercising it is your choice. Now, this next one I forgot to put in the outline, but I'll go ahead and tell you what it means. Uh, It adds to temperance, patience. Patience means living a steady, consistent life. A patient person is a consistent person, a constant person. You live your Christian life consistently. You're faithful in church attendance. You're faithful to spend your time with the Lord in your private time, having your devotions, your prayer time. You're consistent as a tither, as a church member. You're consistent in how you live. You're predictable about where you're going to be and what you're going to do because you're a patient person. You're consistent. And so you add these things to your Christian lifestyle to help you stay saved. And then it says to patience, godliness. Godliness is not really a spooky word. That means godlike or act like Jesus would in your shoes. It says add to your Christian life godliness. And we're talking about how to not backslide. And you notice verse 4 says, Through these exceeding great and precious promises, we become partakers of his divine nature. That means take portions of his nature. And so to me, it's a real simple thing. The WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's how how a godly person lives. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, study the Gospels, and see how Jesus did. And then you notice in verse 7, at to godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness comes from the word phileo. That means live by the golden rule. Treat others. Hey, what others to treat you? Doesn't that sound like a good Christian virtue? Treat others. you hey, want others to treat you? That's what brotherly love is, is to treat people right. And we're talking about things that will help you stay walking with Jesus and not walk away from him. And then he says the next thing then, at the brotherly kindness, charity. Well, charity comes the word agape. That means love. The God kind of love. And the difference between brotherly kindness and charity or agape is this. You treat others not how they deserve, but how God treats you when you don't deserve it. I want to say it again. He said, add, add to your lifestyle, add to your Christian faith agape. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Forgive them when they don't deserve it. And you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I'm so grateful that all the times I didn't deserve it, he forgave me anyway. I'm so grateful when I missed it, when I blew it, he forgave me. Well, he said, we can be, be partakers of his divine nature, his nature's love. And so with that love in us, we can choose as an actor of our will to open our mouth and say, Father, in the name of Jesus. I do forgive her, in the name of Jesus. I do forgive him, and that's called walking by faith and not by feelings. Amen. It says add that, add that to your as part of your Christian life, and so that's agape. Then verse eight through eleven, we're coming in the home stretch here. It says, but uh, it's, it says verse eight: For if these things be in you and abound, they make you they shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. That means you're a Christian. That's bearing fruit for Jesus when you live this way. Now look at this. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Has forgotten where he came from. I know that for me, I mentioned briefly when I started that I, I know what it's like to be drunk and not know if you're getting home. I still remember where I came from. It's been over 36 years since I lived there. But I remember what I was back then, not knowing if I was going to wake up or not. Not knowing where I was going to wake up or what life was going to be like. I remember. I remember I was purged from my sins. I'm not going back there again. I'm going to love people when they don't deserve it. I'm going to treat strangers right that I don't even know. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to be constant, consistent in my Christian walk. And everything I do, whether it's in the church or my house or where it is, I'm going to do with excellence. Amen. Now, I want you to notice here, verse 10, verse 11. This is the closing. Wherefore, the brethren, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. That means backslide. This is God's guidelines. This is God's words and instructions for how not to backslide. I saw you treat people right. You keep doing your best all the time. You want to grow. You want to learn. And, and you want to do what Jesus would do. If you do these things, you shall never fall or backslide. And then, for so an interest shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's talking about heaven. And so, live this kind of life, and you'll never backslide, and Jesus will welcome you into heaven with open arms. Amen. I don't know about you. I preach to me happy. All right. And here comes the very anointed Mrs. Pastor as I go get ready to baptize the people.
1: Hallelujah. Well, let's stand up. Hallelujah. Folks are getting ready to be water baptized this morning. We're so excited about that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about Jesus. You know, Pastor already said a whole lot of things about Jesus. But how many of you in here today can say that I gave my complete and total life over to the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't live in here anymore. Jesus lives in here. How many of you have done that? A bunch of you. But you know, there's going to come a point in your, in your life, especially when you hear a salvation message that was just preached, that you have to act on the word that you just heard. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus said, You must be born again. He didn't say whether you feel like it or not, you know, it doesn't matter. But you know, there's two destinations for every person in life. When you take your last breath, you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And if I were you, I wouldn't play around in gambling that you're going to have a long time to be able to decide this thing. If you're smart, you give your life to Jesus. What makes you think... That you've made all the right decisions in life. What makes it you think that you're smarter than God? The one who created you. I don't want to live my life without Jesus. I do not want to live my life without him daily counseling me, comforting me, showing me which way to go every single day. Man, I love Jesus, I'm telling you. And Jesus, when you come to Jesus and give him your all, he has nothing bad for you. John 10.10 says, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And then Jesus also said that Satan came to steal, to kill, and to destroy in your life. You know... Bible also says, I put before you this day death and life, blessings and cursings. You choose. You choose Jesus and life and blessings or you choose Satan and death and curses. I mean, it's really plain. You can't make it any plainer than that. And Jesus also said, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he said, no man comes to the Father but by me. So what does that Do. That blows all these other false religions right out of the water. Jesus is the only way. Now, either He is who He said He is, or He's a liar. So it's up to you to make up your own mind. Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, or is Jesus a liar? How many of you that have received Jesus and stuck with Him want to go back to your old life? Why not? Why not? Why not? Debbie says, not ever. Why not? Why don't you want to go back? What's back there that you might want? Nothing. And I'm not one of these preachers that gets up here and says, every eye closed and every head bow. I don't go for that. You know why I don't go for that? Because Jesus died practically naked on a cross. And don't you think he might have been a little embarrassed How would you like to die on a cross with everybody looking at your naked body, being beaten and bruised and blah, blah, blah? And so I'm of the opinion that if Jesus died on a cross like that for you and for me, and you stand out there and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you want to come back to him because you've been out there doing your own thing and not God's thing, that you can't stand out there and say, well, I was too shy. I was too embarrassed to come down front. But on the other hand, Jesus wasn't too shy or too proud or too embarrassed to die for you on a naked cross. Amen. So what I'm going to say to you today is this. This is your golden opportunity. I'm telling you right now, you may not have another chance. I can't promise to cheat you when you drive out on that Highway 15 that it's going to be your last breath. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that as you're driving down the street, somebody's going to shoot you dead, which happened in my neighborhood last year, a block from my house. A kid walking down the street, and some guy drives by and shoots him and kills him in my neighborhood. I can't promise you that that's not going to happen to you. But I can promise you this. That Jesus Christ of Nazareth will never, ever... Pay attention to me. Don't watch them. That Jesus Christ of Nazareth will never, ever let you down. So I'm going to give an altar call this morning. And I'm not playing around. I'm not beating around the bush. If you have never, ever in your life received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never surrendered your entire self to Him, said, Jesus, here's my life. Come and take take my life, Lord do with it what you want to. Or if you've walked away from Jesus, if you've been a backslider, I want you to come up here. Be bold, just like Jesus boldly died for you. I want you to come up here and I want to pray for you today. Amen. Those are, the, those are the calls that I'm making right now. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're backslidden and you want to come back to Him, then come on up here. Be bold, man. Be bold and come on up. Thank you, Father. Josh, you want to lead us in a song? Thank you, Father. 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 Don't wrestle with yourself. Just follow Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And I, thank you, Jesus. I surrender all. I surrender all. all to Thee my blessed Savior I surrender all I surrender all I I surrender her all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender her all. Hallelujah. Well, you may be seated right now. If you have someone being water baptized today, then